It allows the accurate transmission of ideas across distance, across time. It allows for knowledge to build and grow. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So I know it seems odd, Andrew, that we're talking about this, this being grammar, but we're having a lot of people asking a lot of questions. So I thought we could take an episode or two to talk about grammar. Sure. Why not? Why not? I think one reason is uh, people are thinking about the next school year. True. And how how important is grammar? How much should mm-hmm. I teach it? Do I really need to do this or that? And nobody has definitive answers. Until today. (laughs) So, listener, this is grab your friends, tell them to tune in because Mr. Poudois has all the answers to all of your grammar questions. Okay, maybe that's she said that, not I. (laughs) So, I'm thinking, of course, about your talk, so appropriately titled. You got to say it with a whine. What about grammar? That's how I say it anyway. And I was wondering if you could, I don't know, give us a shortened version of that talk. It takes you about an hour to get through that talk. But there's some really great points in that talk that I think would be helpful to kind of set the stage before we hit some of these questions that our listeners have. Sure. Well, we can kind of do the outline. So the outline for this one is the four paradoxes Mm -hmm. of grammar, the three divisions of grammar. And then the two worst and the two best ways to teach and learn grammar. Okay, we're going to try to get through that in 30 minutes. Now I know why it's an hour talk. Yeah, well, it's like a lot of talks. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think of a few more things you could say about this or Mm -hmm. another story about that, and Mm -hmm. then it gets bloated. So the first time I gave the talk, I thought, how am I going to go for a whole hour? (laughs) Um, And now it's tough. I've Mm -hmm. got to keep the pace. But... Uh, If anyone wants the full version, of Mm -hmm. course, they can get that off our website. Right. So paradoxes are, of course, those things where they appear to be Mm self-contradictory. One thing seems to be true, but then maybe the opposite thing also seems to be true. And how do you reconcile that? It Mm -hmm. creates a cognitive dissonance, if you will. And probably the first one that most people come up against is this. Grammar is not a precise science. It isn't a science at all, but it's not a precise, consistent thing like math. Mm -hmm. Only people try to teach it as though it is. Right. Mm -hmm. We want it to be just perfect, that Mm -hmm. we can have all the answers. There's a consistent way to do everything, to know everything. And then when we get into the study of it, what we discover is there's all sorts of anomalies It's not like math at all. It uh, is much more like 
English spelling, just in that there's just so many weird things, and and even to this day, English-speaking countries disagree on the spelling of English words. Absolutely. But、uh, there are a few reasons for that. A couple examples, just so people are oriented. One of the rules that we have encountered、uh, that kind of is this long-standing rule that you should never split an infinitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, we've even had we've even had well-meaning people email IEW、mm-hmm. and say, "I found a split infinitive <laughs> on your website,、mm-hmm. as if this were a great crime."、Mm-hmm. And of course, that is when you put a word in between the two and the verb.、Mm-hmm. So, about twenty years ago, it would have been considered by most people wrong to say it is polite to noisily slurp your noodles in Japan,、mm-hmm. which is true, by the way. If you ever go to Japan and you eat ramen, make lots of noise <laughs> because that communicates to your host that you're enjoying the meal. Uh, we wouldn't follow that same protocol here in a restaurant, but just like the rules of eating politely do change,、mm-hmm. uh, this particular rule of grammar changed.、Uh, it was actually in the year two thousand. Merriam-Webster published their usage supplement to、mm-hmm. their annual dictionary edition, and in that usage supplement, it stated that it is now generally considered acceptable. To split infinitives for purposes of clarity,、mm-hmm. and of course that that irritated everyone who'd been walking around for twenty years trying to follow the rule: never split your infinitive. But how did it change usage? Right. In this case, one man, Gene Roddenberry. Yes. You remember? Yes. We grew up watching Star Trek reruns every day, instructed by the television. To boldly go <laughs> where no man has gone before. See、that's、you、right. bet. We're going to grow up and write the dictionaries, and that's just one example of many、uh, how you know young people become old people, and certain language standards、mm-hmm. change over the generations. Right.、Uh, they also change, you know, from place to place.、Um, one of the other kind of rules that people have believed. Is that you should never end a sentence with a preposition, right? Which in French and Latin you should probably never do, but English is is a little messier because it isn't as coherent as one of those languages. Winston Churchill, of course, almost a hundred years ago,、uh, said this about that: <clears throat> "This is the sort of pedantry up with which I will not put." Right, <laughs> because if you were to say it in a natural way, you would say this is the sort of thing I will not put up with,、mm-hmm. thereby ending your sentence in two prepositions. Right. So we have to understand English is、um, a system that is always kind of developing and clarifying itself. But on the other hand, we don't, I think, want to go completely to the modern. You know, progressive extreme, which is there's no such thing as correct grammar. There's only what people do, and you can't ever judge that.、Mm, that、right. that becomes judgmental and mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. You can simply describe it. So、mm-hmm. there's the schools of prescriptive grammar thinking,、mm-hmm. which is here's what you should do,、mm-hmm. and the school of descriptive grammar thinking, which is 
oh, look at how people use language. Isn't that marvelous? We can, but if we if we go to either extreme, and and as usual, the wisdom is in the middle, in the mm-hmm. balance. Mm-hmm. So that's the first paradox is we wish that it were a precise and correct science, but it really is always changing. And uh, there are more examples that you would find. Uh, but in the interest of time. In the interest of time. <laughs> it, it is actually an art. And mm-hmm. if we think about the seven liberal arts, the trivium, what's the first one? Grammar, mm-hmm. logic, rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Well, arts are things you do. And there are different ways to do them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So think about it. I, I know many people have got into kind of a minutia of sentence diagramming quandaries. Which is a question that we get, you know, tell me why IEW Fix-It Grammar Program doesn't yeah. focus on diagramming. And, and the problem there is, you know, if, if it's fairly complex, mm-hmm. you could give it to three well-trained grammar, quote, experts, Mm -hmm. and probably get at least two, if not three, different diagrams out Mm -hmm. of that or different ways to label it. And uh, that's frustrating. Mm -hmm. You you want, you know, everyone to agree on the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. So we just have to accept that and move on. Mm -hmm. The second paradox is that while... Grammar is possibly one of the most important things. It also is seemingly irrelevant to most English-speaking people. Right. Now, to unpack that just a little bit, why is grammar one of the most important things? Because it makes everything else possible. Mm -hmm. Without knowing the, the standards for the way to communicate, all knowledge starts to break down. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, David Mulroy, who is a professor of classics at the University of Wisconsin, wrote a book in 2003 called The War Against Grammar. Hmm. And uh, it's very interesting because he noticed that his students um, who were signing up for his classics classes over the decades kind of had a, a decreasing ability to understand even the literal text of what they were reading. And these weren't you know, these, this wasn't English 101. These were kids who had signed up to read hard stuff. Right. And he wondered why it was increasingly difficult just for them to have a basic comprehension. And uh, he came to the conclusion that it was they didn't know enough grammar to be able to parse the sentence correctly. Now, parse is a term that we use in studying foreign language. What does parse right. actually Well, parse mean? would be being able to identify mm-hmm. uh, the parts of a sentence okay. and then understand the parts of the sentence. Okay. A good example is the one he used in the book, okay. which is the first sentence of the Declaration of Independence. And it is a long sentence, 72 words long. Okay. And it would be a nightmare to try and diagram oh, yes. this sentence. <laughs> but just to refresh us, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read it here. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the, among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation, to the separation. Right. Okay. So 
he tried an experiment and gave this sentence uh, as extra credit on a quiz and asked two questions. You could get extra credit points. Question one, what is this? Do you mm -hmm. recognize it? And question two, in your own words, paraphrase, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And he found that fewer, th and he tried this many times, but on average, fewer than half of his students recognized it at all, which is kind of sad, I think. And fewer than a third could even approximate close, you know, approximate mm -hmm. reasonably the meaning. Mm -hmm. And he gives some humorous examples in the book. Um, I won't read them all, of course, but here, here's one student who understood what was the subject of the sentence. When people decide to fight or separate among countries, cities, or themselves, they should say why they are fighting. That's a pretty good summation. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. Another one, in people's lives, things may happen that would cause them to no longer want to be a part of a certain government of which they are part. These things would give them reason enough to become their own ruling body. It's missing the key subject and verb, mm -hmm. right? Which is they should declare why mm -hmm. they're doing this. Mm -hmm. But some of the examples were just beyond. For I love this one. It's so poetic. Cut your earthly bonds and wear the mantle of nature and God. Wield the power and declare justly your ascension from man's law. Then all shall bow before your might. I am sure that student was laughing when they wrote it, right? <laughs> I don't know what that student was thinking. But Mulroy has dozens of mm -hmm. examples mm -hmm. um, and basically concluded that the, teach, the teaching of grammar is not happening sufficiently so that his students could read a complex sentence, mm -hmm. identify the main clause, the subject and the verb, and, and comprehend it. Right. So grammar is critical to comprehension. Right. Uh, and then he researched this short little book, which is just a gem of a book, uh, The War Against Grammar, and discovered that indeed in the United States there has been a war against the teaching of grammar hmm. in mostly public schools uh, for 20 years, uh, led by no less than the National Council of Teachers of English. Hmm. And he's got it all documented in there. And then he also has this section where he kind of traces the rise and fall of civilization corresponding with the rise and fall of the teaching of grammar. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it allows for the accurate transmission mm -hmm. of ideas right. across distance, across time. It allows for knowledge to build and grow. And if we don't have the foundation of common understanding, then things start to fall apart mm -hmm. very quickly. And so that's the gist of the book. So that's the the paradox. The first part of the paradox is grammar is extremely important. However, it's kind of irrelevant to most people. If you take uh, a child, say a 10-year-old English-speaking child, and you say, son, I am going to teach you how you speak English. The kid's kind of like, I know how to speak English. Mm -hmm. It's like saying, I'll teach you how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. Kid's like, I know how to ride a bike. Yes, you do. But you don't understand all the biology and physics that make bike riding possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The kid's like, could I just go ride my bike? I mean, what is the point here? Mm -hmm. And you meet uh, a lot of adults who will admit they didn't feel like they learned much 
English grammar until they took German in college mm -hmm. or a foreign mm -hmm. language later in life. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. If you already speak a language, you don't really need to know how you do that. You just do it. Mm -hmm. But if you're learning a new language, now you don't know what are those things called and what are the rules that govern their behavior. And then that transfers into a better understanding of your own language. Mm, right. So that's the paradox is it's very important, only it seems irrelevant to many students. The third paradox is that you do not have to know a lot of English grammar to write well. Hmm. But you have to have good grammar when you write. Okay. So how's that possible? I met a man once uh, who was a professional writer. He had ghostwritten everything from novels to PhD theses. That's mm. what he did. He mm -hmm. was a ghostwriter for people. Mm -hmm. And in the process of our conversation, I said to him, he said to me, and I don't quite remember how it came up, he said to me, well, I don't know any English grammar. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're a professional writer. Mm -hmm. He goes, I don't need to. <laughs> and then he made some snide comment like, that's what editors are for. Well, okay, why is this? Well, we're going to touch a little bit on the divisions of grammar, and that will help explain. Okay. If you know the language very, very well, and you speak it well, and you have that great database mm -hmm. of syntax and vocabulary and patterns to draw on. That you talk about in the, your Nurturing Comedy Nurturing Comedy Communicator, mm -hmm. yeah. Then you don't need to know the technicalities of how that works. So he's defining knowing grammar as the technicalities of grammar. Yeah, analytical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Analytical. So we'll come back to that in a okay. minute. And then the, um, the fourth paradox, I get in a little bit of trouble. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have looked at Dorothy Sayers and the Lost Tools of Learning essay mm -hmm. where she corresponds the liberal arts of grammar, logic, and rhetoric with the stages of development. Mm -hmm. So young children... Uh, she calls them the Paul Parrot, Polly the Parrot. They can memorize very easily. They mm -hmm. can absorb the raw information. Mm -hmm. And she th says this is this is kind of corresponds with the grammar stage where you can just learn the names of stuff and and you can memorize Latin paradigms. Omo amasamat, amamasamatasamat. You don't even have to know what they mean, mm -hmm. but you can you can memorize. And so, uh, if children are good at that. And that stage, then that we should look at education as providing that. And they get a little bit older. She calls it pert, the pert stage. Mm -hmm. They start to want to argue and question everything. Mm -hmm. I'd call it the flat-out obnoxious stage. <laughs> but, you know, all kids go through that. And she mm -hmm. says, well, you know, that roughly corresponds with the liberal art of logic. Mm -hmm. So if they want to learn to argue, good. Well, teach them to do it well. Mm -hmm. And then as they get older and past that, mm -hmm. uh, she says poetic, I guess to keep her alliteration mm -hmm. going, you know, pulpit per poetic, she says that roughly corresponds with the liberal art of rhetoric, which would be the art of persuasion and a skillful use of language. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have built curriculums and even whole school structures around this idea and take young children in the grammar stage and then try to find an analytical grammar program mm -hmm. and put it down on seven-year-olds. Mm -hmm. I don't think Dorothy Sayers was thinking about that at all, mm -hmm. but that has happened. So mm -hmm. the paradox for me is I don't know that 
analytical grammar in the way we try to teach it in a fairly abstract um, is appropriate for children that we would refer to as grammar stage. I think it's more of a uh, pert logic dialectic stage activity. Mm -hmm. But I can get in a little bit of trouble there with some of the people classical education. Right. So those are the four paradoxes. Okay. So uh, now the, we have the three divisions. The three divisions, and this is pretty easy. Um, and, and this is my construct. So, and it's, it's a little bit like a, you know, a trinity. These are interwoven. You can't really separate them out, mm-hmm. but it helps to think about them. The first, and I would say the most important, is inherent. Okay. The inherent grammar or inherited grammar is that which you gain from growing up wherever you grow up and hearing whoever you hear and reading whatever you read. The quality of the language that you're going to be able to speak and write is determined by the quality of the language that comes into your brain. And, you know, some people are blessed to grow up in a more literate, more sophisticated language environment than Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. And there's not a whole lot that can be done to change that other than encourage parents and teachers to read higher quality language out loud to children and also to have them memorize higher quality language than they would bump into on a daily basis, you know, with peers, media, busy families, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we do talk about this um, in in great detail. Yes. <laughs> Nurturing competent communicators. Because that's the number one predictor uh, I have found of being a good writer as an mm-hmm. adult is that you were read to mm-hmm. out loud a lot at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why my, my writer friend could say, yes, I'm a professional writer, and I don't need to know any grammar. He does. He has a, a high a high level of inherent knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's just not analytical in the same way. So he knows what doesn't sound right, but he doesn't necessarily know that what subject verb agreement actually is. But he can hear it when it's right. wrong. Right, and we do this. So if I said sure. if I said to you, "Me go store yesterday." Mm-hmm. You would immediately know that's mm-hmm. not correct. You would, if mm-hmm. I were a young child, you might correct me and say, I went to the store yesterday. But we don't sit there and say, wait a minute. Now, me is the subject, but that's in the objective case. We need the nominative form of the personal pronoun, which would be I. If it happened yesterday, then the tense of the verb is wrong. Therefore, we have to use went instead of go. And in English, we have these very handy but irksome little things called articles that smooth our life. We, we could explain it all, but we wouldn't. We would just fix it. Right. Right. Which is the second division of grammar, applied grammar. Okay. So you hear something wrong, you read something, and, and it doesn't work. You don't necessarily have to know why it doesn't work if you can fix it and make it work. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is essentially what uh, you find on tests like the SAT and the ACT in the language section Mm -hmm. is they'll have a little paragraph and then they'll have a blank space. And then they'll give you four or five options as to what fits in that blank space. And you pick the, the best one based on really your sense of mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. not that you have time to parse out every little grammatical detail 
I mean, having that knowledge can help, but what they're really testing is that application of your inherent grammar mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. And you find, you know, a lot of kids who grew up in literate homes, got read to, have memorized stuff, read a lot as kids. They'll walk in and take that test and do very, very well on it mm -hmm. without having had a whole lot of formal analytical grammar instruction. Mm -hmm. But that is the third one, and that's the analytical. So the three divisions, inherent, applied, and analytical. So three divisions, inherent, applied, analytical. So inherent, you've already pretty much explained what that is. Mm -hmm. Applied would be something like what we teach in our writing system when, when they're looking for a strong verb, they're applying it to their writing. And so they're able to use verbs and they know what verbs are. Right. And, and that it. gets us into the best, the worst and the best ways to teach. Okay. But it is that ability to apply mm -hmm. your knowledge, right. your inherent knowledge to what you're doing. Okay, got Either it. reading or writing or editing. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. And then the analytical is like knowing what the parts of speech are, how they work together in a sentence. Is it a clause? Is it a phrase? Those, that's all very analytical. Right. Okay. We had a conversation in your office just not too long ago mm -hmm. about the future, the past perfect progressive, I believe. Yeah, it was something. And the difference between the past perfect and the past perfect progressive. Continuation. Continuation, was Cont that it? Yes, yes. And it, you know, it's very obscure terminology. And there's not a whole lot of real practical value mm -hmm. in knowing that mm -hmm. unless you are a real grammar nerd uh -huh. um, or you're trying to communicate the grammar idea. Right. Right. So the mm -hmm. question, I had said something and the question was, did I say it correctly mm -hmm. on a video recording or something. Mm -hmm. Whether I did or didn't say it correctly has no bearing on whether someone wrote it correctly. Mm -hmm. It sounded right. Mm -hmm. you know. So we always get back to that. Mm -hmm. But that analytical grammar is kind of, it, it can be enjoyable because it can give you kind of x-ray vision into your own language. So, but, but go back to paradox number one, which is you may or may not be right in what you've <laughs> analyzed this as being. Right. And if you're a high up enough authority, you can just declare this is what it is. You know, <laughs> right. mo most of us aren't high up no. enough authority. I tried, I think. Um, but but you may find disagreements mm -hmm. about the labeling of things. Right. And exactly. that's par for the course. Good. Okay, two best ways and two worst so ways. So the two worst ways, two worst um, ways. one, I believe, would be kind of an isolated use of grammar workbooks, hmm. particularly at an age before there's any relevancy. And I know kids who've done, you know, two or three years of blah, blah, grammar, fill in the blank, and they, you know, they do all the exercises, but then come to a writing class and you say, so what's the verb in your sentence? You have no idea, right? right? Or you ask a question, what's a verb? And one little boy very enthusiastically pops his hand out and says, person, place, thing, or idea. <laughs> okay. You know, he's working it out. That's mm -hmm. fine. You mm -hmm. know, he had a, a definition just not attached quite Well, even correctly. the, quote, correct definition, an action word, I've seen you demonstrate 
Oh, why that action? That's not you know. always an action word. <laughs> well, that's an incomplete definition. But um, so, so a lot of times I've seen kids who've had several years of grammar workbook, but it's just like fill it in, turn the page, mm-hmm. in one side, out the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a different approach makes a much better result. Okay. The other one would be the osmosis approach, mm-hmm. which uh, is probably most popular in many schools, which would be don't explicitly teach grammar, just let it float around and kids will start to acquire, you know. Kind of like the inherent grammar only? Well, no, it's like if you just use the word verb and noun Mm. and adjective in context, then you don't have to do tedious worksheets, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I like that idea. I don't suppose it's a good idea. Well, it doesn't seem to work, which is Mulroy's problem. You know, he was looking at the school saying, you know, these students don't have the skills Mm. required to read something very challenging because they didn't get that parsing ability. But then the paradox is in English, you may not get it anyway. So, you know, that brings us to the Best ways. Oh, good. Let's do the best. So, ways. the first one is in the context of writing. Oh, good. In fact, the idea of a grammar workbook, and I've looked into this, is actually a very new hmm. idea, maybe hmm. less than 30 years old, before or 40. Before that, it was always grammar and composition. Hmm. Okay. That writing and grammar were always being taught side by side. Mm hmm. Uh, and of course, our stylistic techniques is—it's the best way to do it because mm-hmm. you're not saying identify all that stuff in mm-hmm. this kind of mechanical, dry, uninteresting way. You're saying, here's a box of stuff. Play with it. Dress ups, sentence openers, decorations, triples, advanced techniques—those are all the stylistic. Sure, techniques. and like I said, I've had kids who, you know, three years of fill in the blank grammar workbook yep. come to my class three days of using a dress-up checklist, they know what's a strong verb, what's a quality adjective, what's an L-Y adverb, and how to put those and mark them in a sentence. Listener, he's actually talking about my boys. Just <laughs> true confessions right here. <laughs> and then if, if you want an X-ray vision into language itself and mm-hmm. the structure of it all, the best thing is to study a foreign language mm-hmm. because that gives you the objectivity. You mm-hmm. don't already know everything. And uh, I would say that, unfortunately, in many schools, the the shift from the study of the language to be able to, say, read it and understand it, mm-hmm. which requires the grammar, to let's be able to chat mm-hmm. in this language mm-hmm. – um, has been a shift away. And and so a lot of times you, you sign up for Spanish or French and you get a lot of cultural language mm-hmm. and, you know, how to go and operate in that world a little bit and not get lost and order coffee. <laughs> um, whereas uh, I remember Cheryl Lowe talking about her um, honors French class at the University of Kentucky and they were expected to read Voltaire in the original after one year. Wow. They weren't trying to talk French. They were trying to learn yeah. the language. Yeah. And in doing so, you know, you go deep into mm-hmm. learning the structure of all languages, right. which is why there's a, a strong argument to be made for the study of Latin 
generally you don't try to talk Latin <laughs> so much as you try to learn mm -hmm. uh, what are the vocabulary and uh, what are all the you know, conjugations and declensions and tense forms and everything that helps you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I taught Latin for about six years. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely I feel like I learned more analytical grammar mm. during that time mm -hmm. than I did in maybe the decade before of trying to teach English. So let me ask you a question. You've identified the two worst ways and you've identified the two best ways. And obviously or maybe not so obviously, hey, listeners, we sell a grammar program. It's called Fix It. Where does that fit, Andrew? It fits in the applied, mm -hmm. uh, the zone, mm -hmm. and the, the integration with composition. Mm -hmm. So we're giving the students a sentence that has some embedded errors, mm -hmm. and they're to read it, and then they apply their knowledge of inherent, mm -hmm and maybe a little bit of their analytical grammar understanding, mm -hmm. which we are teaching, yes. in order to fix what needs to be fixed, right. whether it's the wrong number form at the mm -hmm. end of a word. or And we have a lot of mechanic stuff in there that mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily be analytical grammar, but it would be getting your homonyms right and knowing whether there should be a comma, where's the you know, end mark for the sentence, and... Remembering the capital, you know, especially in the book one, book two. Right, right. It's, it's proofreading practice. Right, yep. um, And because it's a little more of a game mm -hmm. form, uh, nobody complains. Yep. Um, I don't think I have heard one person say, I hate that. Right. You right. know, there may be, but they didn't tell us. We do hear a lot of people say, oh, this is the first time my kid has really enjoyed right. a grammar program. So it falls in that applied grammar and then because it's so closely connected with our stylistic techniques mm -hmm. checklist, it's just a continuous reinforcement back and forth. Right. So it it's, falls in the category of best ways because it's doing in the context of writing. And that's what we want. Well, we are out of time. Yes, we went over time. We did a little bit. But we'll spend some more time talking about our Fix-It grammar program as well as some of these questions that we get from our people that call in and say, hey – customer service help me out help me understand why whatever so we'll we'll talk about that next time how yeah. about that is this a gerund an infinitive or an adverb yes <laughs> maybe <laughs> all right thank you andrew Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>